Hey, it's Sky Brothers here. View from the cheap seats this week. We have an unbelievable guest. Uh, he played for in the NFL, had over ten thousand six hundred yards rushing, and now he's got a great acting career. He's Thomas Q. Jones. Man, did you have fun on the show? Man, I had a blast on this show. Thank we you so much deep. for inviting me. Yeah, we got super deep, man. It was early in the morning out here in the West Coast. Man, Listen, y'all, got man, my, y'all got my brain working early, man. Talk so. Issues. I'm yeah. talking issues. I'm saying, look, we got so deep, we put her butt to sleep. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. like to take this opportunity to welcome you to Twisting the Wind. This is it. I'm getting ready to cry. I'm getting ready to cry. How do you do it? How do you get ready to How do you get ready to cry? You wanna get some soap in your eye? Just one of them. Don't cry at a bowl from that waste at all. Don't do it. Nothing happened to you again. You did it again. You son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. I don't wanna have a bastard child. I don't wanna have a fucking bastard. tried to play, break a fucking table leg with a machete, but it didn't break. It's super frustrating to do something like that. I was like a cry laugh, wasn't it? I was like, it was like a cry laugh. Thank God for the cry laugh, huh? That's a good one. We need more of the cry laugh. More of the cry. God, is he laughing? Is he crying? What is the cry laugh? It's kind of like, it's usually kids, isn't it? It's usually a kind of a kid thing, the cry laugh, because kids always are either crying or laughing or... Because that's what they are. Because they're living in that zone that's sort of like, it's both, man. I'm so conservative. I'm liberal. I'm so liberal. I'm conservative. Uh, just got struck with a real cool piece of, uh, I guess I'll call it luck. Maybe, maybe not luck. I don't know. It's not luck. What is luck? Luck is, uh, luck is when opportunity and experience mean. Is that what that means? There's a good quote that I have on a piece of, a piece of, um, you know tea do you know how you, you get tea you know how tea you know how tea is when you get tea it's on the the tea bag it's got the string and the and the little tag on it the little tag it's somewhere here in my wallet 
I save certain things. I don't know why. I save so many things. I'm such a fucking ridiculously sentimental person. It's terrible. Oh, God. I mean, if I didn't have some people in my life limiting my storage abilities or actually the physical storage abilities, my God, who knows what kind of shast would be lying in wait for some sort of an unlucky person having to dig through my my will and testament. Uh, but either way, at some point I did have this. It's gone now. Well, there it goes. Well, it's, I've committed it to memory. There's a little T, a T thing that says a pound of pluck. <laughs> a pound of pluck is worth a ton of luck, and it's from old old president. I think it's one of the. I think it's Garfield, one of the Garfield presidents. And he said that because it's all about, you know, you just uh, stick doing it, doing it and getting down into it and being it and being in the moment and just, just hashing it out beats the, oh, luck, oh, oh, please, luck, strike me down, would you? Would you give me a bit of something to hang a wish on, would you? Yeah, that's bullshit, man. Pluck, pluck beats luck. Either way. What just happened was, uh, so I have this little office space. That's where I record the podcast for the most part, for the most part, except when I need to use fast internet to call someone, which obviously I haven't been doing much lately because uh, it's easier to record here than it is at home. Um, well, neither here nor there. You, you've all experienced plenty of great phone calls. I'm not going to stop doing it. All it is, all of me doing those phone calls are, is, are, is, was, is, will be, is just a chance to get in the moment with someone I don't know. It's a, it's like that thing where it's like you, you reach out and see if maybe someone will catch you. That's kind of what it is. Or maybe the other way around. Who's catching who? Who's, who's, uh, annoying? What's it called when someone, um, Oh, what's the word? I just talked with someone about this recently. Who's annoying who? Who's procrastinating who? Either way, that's what those phone calls are. So this thing, so back to where I am, here I am now. I'm in the little office. I, uh, I, uh, I'm stuff, some stuff's on my head and my mind. I'm heavy, heavy in my, on my heart and, and soul and mind. So I meditate. I met, ended up meditating for like a half an hour. Which is, uh, you're not supposed to do that, but it doesn't really matter. I meditated for a long time, and I came out of it, and it's dusk, the best part of the day, by far. Like, like pre-dusk, you know, the evening time. And I got, I'm about to leave the office here to go home, and uh, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So I put my stuff down, turn all the lights off, everything's done, and I go walk to the bathroom. Right as I turn the corner, the bathroom's right, the bathroom's right by the office. Like, it's, right, it's literally around the corner in this hallway. This big dude, this big, like, burly dude, um, probably like 6'2", weighs 300 pounds, maybe taller, just like a big old fucking, like, rugby football player-looking guy. He's got, like, a blue shirt on that says, like, Roma or something, some just kind of basic shirt. And this dude looks at me, and he's coming straight for me. He's got a big old smile on his face, and he says, like, Hey, what's up, boss? Or how you doing, boss? Something like that. And he calls me boss. This guy calls me boss. I'm like, man, that's that's cool. That's fucking cool, right? He calls me boss. And sometimes this happens after you meditate. All of a sudden, you get thrown into these weird moments of... Uh, it's, like you, it's like you get thrown into this weird sort of play but really you're not, you're not really any nothing's changed it's just all of a sudden you've chilled out enough to kind of take in things in a way that you didn't before but so i so i see this guy right i'm going to the bathroom he's going to the bathroom we both go to the bathroom at the same time i think he goes in there ahead of me because he was just a little he was a few steps closer to the bathroom when we both encountered it what's up boss heads in there and i just have to pee so I go to the the urinal, and I was assuming he had a pee because he looked like such a confident, happy, 
big old burly friendly dude but he's probably got to pee too you know because this is the kind of i just assumed you had to pee right because i assume everyone just has to pee no one ever has to shit at least not in uh public like me i do all like me have to do all the time because of my terrible bowels but um this guy goes to the very there's three stalls in this bathroom three stalls two urinals two sinks it's pretty sizable <laughs> this guy goes straight away to the first stall and i go straight away to the urinal in the corner and i start peeing i'm thinking this guy's peeing too he's like oh let, he's like oh i'll let i'll let boss have the um this is my my thinking what he's thinking i'll let him have that urinal there and he, and he takes the stall for some reason. So it's not that thing where we're both standing at these urinals that have no dividers and just pretending not to pretend to not to look, not to look, you know, that kind of thing. But he proceeds to sit down and take like a, like a real, not a noisy shit, but like a shit where he's just, he's not holding back. He's not like, I'm going to, I'm going to deny the fact that I'm definitely shitting now and be, cause I need to have a private moment to, because it matters, because it's special when I shit and stuff like that. Like I do all the goddamn time. And I realized, I'm like, this, that's, that's what I thought. <laughs> so him shitting noisily, not shitting noisily, just shitting like unencumberedly, just definitely going for it, 100%, not really, <laughs> not really uh, being aware of what he's doing. That's fucking, that's a badass. That guy's a total badass. That guy's probably, he's probably enlightened to some extent. Something about that just struck me. It's like a, such a boring ass story, I guess, but the thing that, it's a boring, yo, it's like a fucking boring ass story. But that's a true badass. The guy's just in the moment. Hey man, what's up? Walk in the bathroom, hit the first stall. That's, that's, that's the pinnacle. That's the pinnacle of the story here. It's not so much him talking to me, not so much him shitting noisily, but guess what? He goes to the first fucking stall. Nobody ever goes to the first stall to shit. Nobody ever does. Maybe he had to shit really bad. I don't know. It sure didn't seem like it, though. He seemed like he was pretty... I don't know. Usually when someone has to shit bad, they're not like happy to greet a stranger in that way. I don't know. Maybe he's an angel. <laughs> Maybe he's an angel taking that first stall, man, and just shitting unencumbered. Who cares if I, he, this person he doesn't know hears his bowels moving and him making the sounds that you have to make to make the bowels move. Well, you just did it. That to me is like, that's the pound of pluck worth a ton of luck right there. That's the fucking guy. That's like, that's the, Pluckmaster General. That's what I'm gonna call that guy. Pluckmaster General. Because you just he just fucking he's just doing it. In the moment, first stall. First stall. You know where the first park the best parking spot is? It's the first one you find when you're even kind of near where you're going. That's the guy. That's the fucking moment right there. That's the visual physical story embodiment of being in the moment who gives a fuck who gives a fucking who gives a goddamn fruit what people think about what you do when you do what you do when it's the same that everybody 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 does right yeah well, then even better than that is I saw, I actually left, I actually left after that whole experience. I went out to the car. I was going to go, go back home, but I just started thinking about what just happened. I was like, kind of, kind of touched by it. Like, wow, that was a real little thing I just saw that made me think about this thing that I'm thinking that I'm talking to you about right now. And I just wanted to talk about it right away. So I made a, made a U-turn 
And uh, I got back here in the office where I am right now recording it on my way back in. Car drove by. Saw a little dog in the back seat <laughs> staring at me as he drove by, like with wide eyes. That's, that's you know, it's not that special, but it is when you hear some jazz music being played through the window from a guy who lives nearby this place that sounds really good because he's blasting it through gigantic speakers that are seven feet tall. And there it is. And there And there it is. And there is the... To tell you for this little moment, be sure, be sure to check out my website. Be sure to check out my website. Be sure to check out my website. Be sure to check it out. Check out my Twitter, but don't check out my Tumblr. It hasn't been updated enough recently to be of any use to you unless you want to dig back through some things I said for people to see that I liked, 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 Yeah, blow into it. I think that's uh, how it's done. You just blow into it. Yeah, you can blow into my it whatever you want. My heartbeat going on. <laughs> it is. It's getting it just very, oh, very cool. subtly no and slowly. But, cool. Um, well, welcome to Twisting the Wind uh, in, in person, Ryan yeah. and Jess. Thank so you're, you. Um, we, now Ryan and I, you and I talked on the podcast like a, probably a couple months ago, or maybe more, like six months ago or June something. June or July. Yeah, so about yeah. almost six months ago, and uh, you're visiting from, is it Goose? Goosefoot Farms. Goosefoot Farms, yeah. Goosefoot Farms in uh, British Columbia? British Columbia, right. Quadra Island. Right. Yep. And you're both uh, sustainable agricultural specialists, yeah. aka farmers, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is there a new buzzword for farmer? Because like, you're basically essentially farmers, aren't you? We're farmers Small now. Farmers. farmers. Yeah, okay. small. Like really small scale. You have a small farm. We're right. farming by accident. We weren't going to be farmers. Really? We studied horticulture together, actually. So we're like landscape horticulturists by training. But we slipped into it. Like We left the city to start a seed company, vegetable okay. seeds. And it sort of half happened. And I, it's still going to, but vegetables, right. we just started selling vegetables. Like there was huge demand for vegetables where we live mm -hmm. and slowly started selling more and more. Yeah. Would you say, I don't, I wouldn't say the plan was to be farmer. We can't just farmer not farmers. grow. Well, we grew vegetables a lot in the city. Okay. And we had a huge urban garden, which was really fun. Right. And we just kept getting bigger and bigger and we took over the the boulevards. Oh, and, you did? You okay. Know, we were renting. We had really cool landlords and yeah. they let us do whatever we right. wanted. We had about like fifteen hundred square feet, maybe, of boulevard. That wow, was they had the city never built a sideway, so there was this like or sidewalk. There was this steep hill, and then there was on average ten feet wide of just weeds. Oh, so it's perfect. It was yeah, perfect. perfect. Self facing it was amazing. So you just grew the hell out of that. Yeah, tons of food. And this is years ago. This was like this was like oh yeah. six to six early years ago. Okay, so is this why we were still studying horticulture? This was just after. Uh, just we were after. working as gardeners, so we would work okay. by the hour. Uh, I actually worked at a garden center quite a bit. You learn a lot working at a garden center. Really? Yeah. Mm. I tried so hard as a kid to get a job at a garden center. I wanted so badly, but I just couldn't get a job there. Yeah. Really? What? I don't know. It was like in high school. I just really wanted to work. It was more that I I wasn't super into gardening then. I just sort of um, was kind of I kind of liked to do it, but it also 
I just love to be in like those greenhouses. You know, they just have like that smell that's mm. like a yeah, it's nice, it's tropical. Yeah, it's the best, it's like yeah. the ultimate smell in the world. So you moved to LA where it smells like that, anyway. Kind of. I feel like <laughs> if it does, I, I don't smell it. Maybe right now, right now is actually a pretty good time because there's a lot of um, citrus trees that are in bloom. So okay. every once in a while, you catch this whiff of something like, "Whoa, that is very." Smells amazing, yeah. Mm. You'll have to go past the place we're staying because there's like a huge Bermanzia blooming okay. at night. And it's just the yeah, you know Bermanzia? It's got like I a don't. trumpet. Uh, oh, usually they're yellow. Isn't that a Datura? Or it used to be, I think. I think it's been reclassified. Has it's it? Bermanzia, yeah. No, Datura is the small shrub. And then they have this angel's trumpet. And then they have Bermanzia, which is a tree, like a shrubby yeah, thing. Yeah, but they're clearly related. Yeah, yeah. Like they're in the same family. So. Yeah, I didn't realize that because I know there's the Datura... Like is the one that grows in the ground. That's what they call like devil's weed or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Or Jimson yeah. weed? Jimson weed, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's a deliriant. Yeah, it's one of the worst drugs known to man. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like... It will It will make you go into an altered state, but, but unlike a hallucinogen or a psychedelic, not be cognizant of why you're in the altered state, <laughs> which I think adds an added layer of terror. Yeah. Yeah, terror. I, I they call it, I've heard people call it hippie crack or something. Not hippie crack, but there's some sort of weird... Like, the only times I've ever read about people smoking Jimson weed have been, like, these redneck hippies that are just, and, like, and then then he died, you know, because it's just, <laughs> it's terrible. There's some, if you look up the Wikipedia entry for that, I just got obsessed with this years ago, just reading about it, because I thought it was such a, I like that that word Jimson weed is just so funny sounding, you know? Yeah. It just sounds, sounds like, like a, yeah. yeah. Big time. Right. Yeah. Hunter Thompson wrote about taking it. He did? Yeah. And I can't remember if the context, I can't remember if he was calling it Jimson weed or Datura or what, but this... Right. You know, long thing about forty-eight hours of sounded unpleasant. So yeah, it's, not, it's like taking cold medicine, like like a like thousand times the dose of cold medicine or something like that. Yeah, it's weird. Go delirious. Yeah, and wow. it's, it supposedly does all these terrible things to your liver and to your bowels. Like this, this, there's this saying that's like a like hot as a hair, fever like a fever like a night, runs runs like quick, and it's something you know old saying thing. But basically, <laughs> it's describing these symptoms that sound so utterly terrible that it just. Mm. Like, oh my god, how's this, how's this something someone wants to take? But yeah. It grows Here. everywhere here. Apparently they use it in small quantity in ayahuasca, certain ayahuasca okay. too, but probably in like very precise. Right, you know? yeah, because that's a blend, right? Ayahuasca is like it's a, a blend. cocktail. Yeah, it's typically a... I'm, I'm not an expert on the topic at all, but it's a, it's a blend of at least two plants. Right. Because one of them is a DMT-containing plant, and uh-huh. the other one is a plant that has um, an enzyme inhibitor in it that allows DMT to be orally active. Okay. So if you don't take the two together, it's actually a great mystery of the world how people figured out how to combine those two plants. Yeah, because they're, they're totally unrelated, aren't they? I believe they're unrelated, and I believe they grow in a slightly different habitat, too. Okay. Which is amazing. So they sorted that out. They figured it out, yeah. They figured it out, yeah. As there's, humans will. There's no other naturally occurring DMT in anything, is there? there? DMT is naturally occurring in many, many, many yeah, things. Yeah, lots yeah. of things. But as far as, like, accessible, in terms of... Well, I like, think the fact that it's not orally... Um, active means okay. that you have to take an enzyme enzyme inhibitor or you have to smoke it okay i think is what it sort of boils down to yeah. but it's in grasses it's in phalaris grass it's in uh cane toads right uh, they say it's in our bodies in minute right amounts. it's nat- it's naturally occurring right it's some part mm. it's some little pocket of uh, brain tissue there's like a little reserve ready to yeah. fire off right yeah and the speculation or some folks speculate that that is what a near-death experience is yeah it's all released so it's right. like trans kingdom it's in all different that's bizarre to trans think kingdom that's a good uh, one i haven't heard uh, that before is that a, is that a, that's a real word <laughs> well it's two words that i, definitely I like put that together. trans yeah, kingdom <laughs> trans inter, kingdom uh, in, what would you say inter kingdom inter, yeah. probably inter kingdom yeah. well you can make it's an intergeneric cross of a plant i believe so different okay. genera but not kingdoms. 
but not too big. Because that's not too big, plans. right? That's huge. I think you'd be getting into crossing things. I mean, people have been crossing things from unrelated kingdoms, but un in genetically modification, genetic modification, right. you know, right. using right, um, right, right. Uh, shoot pieces of uh, a piece of a virus or something that carries a little bit of really? DNA. They want, I believe, that's roughly how it works. Because yeah. the kingdom is the largest classification, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't it go kingdom phylum? phylum King class. Philip comes over for great sex. Oh, really? We used to do a. <laughs> Well, because that's because you're Canadian, so that's the yeah, yeah, thing. Or kids play. Uh... Ours was kinky people cry out for great sex. <laughs> that's American. Which actually makes more sense because you know they're kinky yeah, yeah. people. I don't know what King Philip used to do, but is he probably kinky things? Did he die yeah. of uh, syphilis or some other sexual <laughs> disease? Well, I wouldn't want to go on that. King Philip. So. <laughs> yeah, there Phillip. still is in Canada. It's crazy too. There still is people who are royalists, right? Oh, yeah. And I'll periodically come across one. Like I was in our yoga class this summer, uh -huh. and I said something disparaging about the royal family, like without even <laughs> thinking, as I tend to do. Right. And there were these two old British people, and they're like, "Oh, Ryan doesn't doesn't care uh, for the queen." <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's shocking to it's run madness. into a royalist. Yeah. How old was this person? Pretty old. Okay, yeah. yeah. I think they're dying. I think they have yeah. to be. You mean like the idea of being a royalist? Yeah. I feel like, because when I, I lived in London for like about a month or something like okay. that. And uh, there was, I think it was during something happened, I can't remember, some sort of big queen, like a jubilee or some type of Birthday event. Maybe. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. And it was a big deal. And uh, they make a big deal of that on the news and in the media, but the people I was working with were like, Everyone is just like this is this is ridiculous. Like this, no oh, one okay. cares at all. It's it's absurd. Even like who who cares about this? Yeah, it's like the equivalent of sort of uh, something on Fox News to them. It's this thing where oh, that's good like, to hear that. They yeah, feel that way. Yeah, and I think anyone who's even slightly, uh, I guess you could say hip, they're just they don't give a shit about the Queen, really, good. right? Good. Just, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. such a old. It, it's such a throwback to something so wrong to me, right? Like the like not that long ago, you know, they were putting people in jail for dissent, and right? Taking over the whole world by force, and like it represents imperialism, negative stuff. Yeah, imperialism. Yeah. yeah, I think imperialism is pretty much like that's like the root of the something where I'm like, that's not good. No. Yeah. No. And whenever you split, yeah. That's a great thing to call someone too. Just so like, you fucking imperialist. Yeah. <laughs> they're like giving you a parking ticket or something like that. Yeah, yeah. These goddamn imperialists here. They're trying can... to <laughs> they're trying to colonize my brain. I got called a post-colonialist once, and I'm still not sure really? what that means. Yeah. I don't know what that means because I, I guess even, can it even mean anything? We are post-colonialists, all of us, aren't we? I suppose we are. I mean, if we're post. Yeah. But then is this? This land was taken, though. <laughs> yeah. And our country was definitely taken. But it, what, like, doesn't post mean... Post it's like, a, it's like a carpet bagger, but not a carpet bagger. Oh, car I get that, Mick. That also sounds really that dirty word. to me. Yeah. Is that someone who moves somewhere for economic gain? Yeah, it's people, who, people from the north who moved to the south during Reconstruction to sort of, uh, I guess, to get involved in Reconstruction. I think the profit from it to some okay. extent, but I think it, it has a mixed... It's one of those words that I think has changed over time and also meant different things to different people at the mm. time, too. Which yeah. is also a great way of covering me not actually knowing what it means. Yeah. <laughs> me fantastic. saying, like, yeah, it's, I think it could be this. I think it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, what is it? So, it's, obviously, it's uh, up for discussion here, clearly. but It's definitely a knack for sounding like you're on an authority on things. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard. Right. You just have to seem confident. Yeah, you just have to yeah. have, or leave, leave the leave it open to other other ideas and stuff. So oh, yeah, you get a lot of training with that with gardening. Really? Yeah. Working yeah. at garden centers okay. in particular. Yeah. We, we both start <laughs> so working at garden about this centers in our 
teens probably. Okay. I was like 16, you were 18 or something. Yeah. Right. Have you known each other for a long time? Yeah. Quite a while. Yeah, we've wow. been together for like we 10 met, years. We met at school and... Um, so, 04. 04 we met. We didn't yeah. date during school, but we got together after school and we've been together ever since. 10 years. 10 years yeah, this 05, year. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. And we're cool. both 30. Are you 31? 31. I'm 30. I can remember being 16 though and getting a job at a garden center and like literally the first day getting inundated with plant questions and even at 16 like, but you I didn't was, know anything well i knew a little bit i was just starting to dip my toes in okay but i quickly realized that you're gonna have to kind of fake it till you make it and it's a perfect yeah. environment for that and i gave some in the first three years some pretty unfortunate horticultural advice do you remember what any of that was oh boy uh, specifics no but it would be like a whether a plant is appropriate for a certain spot okay um, Things like that, or just which what identifying plants and but but at, in faking it, you start to realize that you have more and more of the answers working in this environment, you know. And then eventually something clicked in my early twenties, and I realized that I did have some answers, you know. Right. So it's a it's an interesting environment in that regard. Well, there's so many variables. There's so many things. It's ridiculous. I get that a lot because some reason I think people in my community garden have decided that I know everything. Oh. And it's hard because there's a lot of stuff. I'm just like. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to be, I have to say something. And a lot of times I'm just like, well, yeah, I guess you could, uh, you could, uh, it's always like, I guess you could do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it couldn't hurt. Or, or it's like, um, well, I guess I would uh, probably add some compost to that. Oh, yeah. Just, <laughs> just uh, side dress Never it with hurts. some compost and uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. you're fine. Have you guys ever tested your soil? No. I'm, I was thinking about that today, actually, because I've been having some soil problems. I think they're soil problems. I, I'm trying to grow some peas. Um, Pisum sativum. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy. Thank you. Very good. That's one of the only ones I know because it's like I can't believe that it's they're all called pisum sativum. Yeah. Every type of pea is all yeah. the same species. I'm like, this is crazy to Not me. Not a black eyed pea though. All right, those are... You get into the South, things get confusing. Those aren't true peas, or are they? I think they're... Vin they're beans. Vinya. They're not fasciolus. Fasciolus is your it's, regular bean. Right. But I think they're in the legume, legume family. Okay. Yeah. But peas are not. Peas are. Yes. They are legumes? They are. They are. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they're in that family, but they're, they're in so the good. genus Pisum. So the family's Legumosae. Got it. Yeah. Well, I've had problems with my peas sprouting and growing well this year. I think maybe it's because I put them in too early. But I also got this soil uh, from our place where I go to get my stuff is Sunset Nurseries. And I think the soil is too rich for the peas. It's very possible. Yeah. And I think it's, they're just not... So I mixed in a bunch of uh, some sort of sandy dirt that some groundhog dug up. Okay. And I figured, figured that's probably good. You know, it's, it's yeah. real kind of a grayish black. It's not super rich. And I okay. figure, so I'm going to try again. But it's just been frustrating because the year before I had just this massive hedge of his uh, Champion of England peas. Oh, nice. They're so delicious. And they just grew like seven feet tall. Nice. And now I've got nothing. Well, and so it's like this thing where, ugh. There's there's one thing with legumes that's kind of important, mm -hmm. which is that most of them require pretty high levels of calcium. And okay. I don't know, in terms of climate and geology here, I'm not sure really what's going on, but I know that it's very common for folks to try to plant peas in a garden that they've just built and they've added a whole lot of manure to um, maybe organic fertilizers, and it's a very rich soil, particularly in nitrogen, right. but they've perhaps not added any lime, and the okay. calcium level can be too low. So that ratio can throw them, throw something like peas off. You've got tons of free nitrogen in the soil, very little calcium. It's the opposite of what they Yeah, because they don't need nitrogen. They don't need much because they can make their own. They make know? the nitrogen. They yeah. make their own. Yeah. <laughs> but they, do, they don't need entirely poor soil across the board. Like, they still need relatively well-balanced soil, but they, right. they want the balance of calcium to be higher than nitrogen so a lot of okay. a lot of plant nutrition stuff comes down to ratios 
Yeah. Anyway, we can test your soil. What's happening to the peas? Oh, they're just not thriving. They're just not coming up? Yeah, and also I had a lot of bugs. I think cutworms got to them when they were young. Okay. And uh, I don't know. It's just something where it was the opposite experience that I had before. I don't know. I also think maybe I under underwatered them a bit, too, because I was traveling and stuff. So. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure. But I have the other total opposite success story is we have this community plot. It's like sort of this uh, area of land that no, it's not designated for anyone. It's no, it's no one's particular bed. But uh, I kind of just end up taking over because no one else takes care of it. And we uh, we weeded the hell out of it about five months ago. And I covered it with a bunch of plastic bags so that just to really burn off those the Bermuda grass we have here, which mm. is just rampant. It's terrible. And um, and, it, and I did that. the bags were on there for a long time because I didn't get around to planting in there. And eventually I pulled them up like sections at a time. I planted a bunch of kale and a bunch of uh, bunch of Brussels sprouts and things like that. And everything in that bed is exploding. Oh, great. It's like, uh, it's ridiculous. Fantastic. And I don't know, I didn't amend the soil really. We added some, a couple bags of manure like way long ago. Hmm. Added a couple, you know, maybe like a wheelbarrow full of compost. This is a, this is a pretty big bed. It's about, you know, about 10 by 7 or something like that. Okay. So not a whole lot, we didn't add a whole lot to it. Um, but for some reason, all these winter vegetables are just, they're taking off. They're thriving right. like crazy in there. So was it thick with Bermuda grass? It, well, it was, yeah, but we we uh, weeded the hell out of it, and then we, and we oh, and then plastic, yeah, the plastic to just to, that, my idea was that it would cook the cook the weeds mm. out of there or whatever it is, kill the weed seeds in there because we we did as much you know did that Bermuda grass is really hard to get rid of because is it like a rhizomatous? It's rhizomal, okay. yeah. So it's just, I was about to drop that word rhizomal. Yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> I think I talked about that on the podcast before. You like, did. I remember. I just yeah. love those. The idea of rhizomal growth to me is like the most fascinating. It's it's alien. That's like that's what aliens do. Mm. Is they you know burrowing sideways and you just you can't. Uh, yeah, you should like explain bamboo. rhizo. What's that? It's oh, like bamboos bamboo like that. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Some of the bamboos. Yeah. 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 yeah mint. 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 Yeah. Mint's rhizomal, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. It, it does. Like it starts off as like a little shrub. Like if you plant a transplant of it, and then eventually it just gets going. It seems to have different stages of growth. You should yeah. explain the rhizomal growth to people. Dear listeners, if you oh, don't yeah. understand, Ryan and Jess will explain <laughs> yes. the idea of rhizomal no, yeah, growth please, to you. Please. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, rhizome's an underground stem, basically. So, yeah, rhizomatous growth implies stems that creep usually just under the soil surface. And mm-hmm. then they can form new plants and they can get fractured off or broken or physically, physically cut off from the mother plant and then they form a new plant. Yeah, mint is a great example of that. Yeah. yeah. So, with something like that, that's clonal growth then. Yeah. So sometimes what will happen is you'll have this massive plant that really is all the same. Mm-hmm. It's all the same thing. You can have a whole forest that way under certain yeah. circumstances. Yeah. What kind of, what, what's an example of like a forest that's like that? It would be like a certain types of poplar, I believe. Really? Or do yeah. that, perform that trick. Or like a giant banyan tree. A banyan tree, right. Yeah, Those that's, are cool. That's, um. They have root but, suckers. Yeah, root suckers, and, and they have aerial, aerial roots, suckers, and it's yeah. a little more complicated. But often, is. like asexual propagation and sexual propagation of a plant can also be happening simultaneously. Like you might have a mint that's moving around through rhizomatous growth and, pro- and propagation, right. but it's also making viable seeds, so there's also sexual reproduction happening. And then seed scattering. and Yeah. So. That's so interesting to me. I just finished reading this book by this guy Dan Riskin. He's Canadian as well. He wrote some book called Nature's Trying to Kill You. And he talks all about just different... He's like a bad expert, but he kind of ventures out into a lot of other things just about parasites and different uh, animals that are have unique ways of reproducing. Or He actually he writes it through the seven deadly sins, which is just his sort of framework for it. But 
the seven deadly sins or his framework? Uh, yeah, in terms of like uh, the th- how evil, quote unquote, evil nature is according to humans. You know, in terms okay. of, uh, and I think he was talking about um, like sexual reproduction in terms of. I didn't realize that sexual reproduction is not that old, actually. Like, it's kind of a relatively, like, newer phenomenon in terms of the history of the world, right? As far as, as far as the way thing. He's saying how, like, everything, every pretty much everything produces sexually, even if it doesn't have to. There's things out there. There's like s- certain worms and certain plants that will. I guess I'm talking about more like animals, but certain animals that will reproduce. They're capable of reproducing, uh, cloning themselves or reproducing asexually, mm-hmm. but they still engage in some sort of weird dance of uh, sexual reproduction. Oh, even if it's not necessarily yeah. required. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So this would be, would an example of this be like single-celled uh, yeasts that can just divide? I think it's even more advanced. There's some sort of flatworm that has these weird, has like genitalia that aren't actually genitalia. They're just sort of representation of genitalia. Really? Yeah. Check out, I'll, you have to check out the listeners. You have to check out the book. Yeah. You probably like it. It's pretty, it's very much for laymen. So it's something where if you read it, you probably would, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's not super scientific, but it's a cool little taste of some of that stuff that you wouldn't ever know about. Which, yeah. Yeah. I like that kind of thing. Yeah, me I like, too. I like reading things for laymen, and I feel like it's really important that there be well-written things for laymen. We went to the Griffith Observatory yesterday, which is probably kind of a cliche thing to do if you're a tourist in L.A., but it was it was beautiful up there. Right. And I actually really enjoyed reading the little science-y astronomical descriptions. Right. Because they were explaining, like, really basic phenomenon that are important. Why is day length different across the season? Right. You know? And, like, how does the tide work? And... Things that a lot of people were like, learned that in school, but <laughs> it's nice to read that, I find. Yes, yeah, get a little refresher there, a little like refresher, a very low-key yeah. refresher on the... And the tide, just tide and sh- Tides are so nuts. You need to get someone on to talk about tides. I'm not... Really? Is that, tides, is it, there's a whole bunch of tide stuff going on? Well, tides are just interesting. Like, the water, yeah. it's in some places, the water goes out like a mile. Miles, yeah. Comes back yeah. in, and how did people in the olden days... Those olden days... How did they How do they know? They, they had a guy. They had a guy. He's like, he's <laughs> a tide guy. guy. He's uh, <laughs> He's got nothing to do but sit up there and check the tide. He's got this special whistle for in and whistle for out. We leave he's him with a... signaler. He's got a sack of bread and carrots. He just sits there. It's like a sniper, but it's for tide. What's the bread for? <laughs> to eat. Oh, bread and <laughs> carrots? Yeah. yeah, bread and carrots and maybe like a... Who knows? My tide guy's dried gluten fish. free. So, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it could be spelt bread. Spelt, yeah. yeah. Probably was spelt bread, really. And then just... Really? Yeah. She's going out. <laughs> going She's in. Going back in. He says it to himself, just to remember. But maybe he gets yeah. confused, like, he gets stoned out there. He's like, am I breathing backwards? Is it in or out? What is out? Is it because the water's out, but the <laughs> land is in? Is am I... Who am I? Oh, boy. Tides. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you some more about the horticultural aspect of things. So going back to the, your like your personal history of growing up, this big berm of stuff in the the boulevard. Mm. So is that what that was your first? Was that almost like an experimental sort of thing for you, where you were just trying things out because this was you've mm. been gardening for some part, period of time at this point, right? Ryan had a lot more experience okay. in his youth than I did. I grew up in gardens, but I was never interested. Whereas Ryan and his family grew a lot of food. 
Okay, um, so you, in their little urban garden, yeah. And so it. he grew up experimenting with things, as far as he's told me. Yeah. Yeah, I was eleven or twelve when I first started fiddling. The first thing I tried to do was to grow garlic hydroponically. It was. Oh my god, that seems <laughs> like a hard thing. Yeah, looking back on it, I would, yeah, I could have given myself a much easier thing to start with. But, <laughs> Hydroponic but garlic. <laughs> at the time, too, I read a lot of newspapers. I was a little kid who liked reading newspapers and. The marijuana industry in BC was just really taking off. This is like the early right. '90s, and there was just a lot of articles about hydroponics. Just as a, like people in yeah. the early '90s had largely not really even heard of hydroponics, and right. so I remember reading a lot of articles as a little kid. Like I had no interest in marijuana at the time, but just what is this? The cultivation of it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. Have you ever tried it, hydroponics? Uh, no. Well, sort of. Um, I got my mom one of those little hydroponic kits a couple years ago. Okay. And help her set it up. And I was like, this thing, it really started to work really well. Cool. Yeah. Like, with the, the basil plant, like, overtook the, the little box that the thing was growing in. Awesome. So Because it just goes right up to the lights. It's like, touch, it's like just smashing its whole body yeah. into the lights mm. that are above it. And they don't have to, plants don't have to work and their root system is hard because oh, you're really? giving them a nutrient solution that's already pretty well right. balanced. So they don't, you can actually grow uh, a really big plant, for instance, a really tall tomato plant in a tiny little, with a tiny little root system. Okay. Because you're just trickling in everything that it needs. It doesn't right. have to spread out for water and for air and for nutrients. So, so is that sort of the benefit, I guess, for marijuana is that you can grow more plants in a smaller area? Big time. That seems, oh, to, yeah. that seems to me to be the primary benefit for any kind that. of indoor gardening mm. is that the, the root system space is much smaller. Right. So you can have a, like, if you're, if you're limited in height, which you often would be if you're trying to grow things clandestinely inside, you can dedicate less of your total area to root system and more to top. Right. Yeah. And you don't have to be carting in large amounts of soil and compost or perlite or yeah. peat or whatever you're making your soil from. You can grow... Evidence. <laughs> you can grow a lot of whatever you want to grow with a few little bottles of concentrated nutrient yeah. solution. Yeah. You don't have to worry about keeping them well watered or... Is that yeah. something you can do that without having sort of like pumping system? You have to have some sort of a. There's a, almost always a pumping system. Okay. When I was a teenager, the one summer that I really got into this, uh, I had a bucket system. So the roots were in a bucket that was filled with right. expanded clay pellets, and then the bottom of the bucket was perforated so it could drain. And many times per day, I would take my nutrient solution bucket, pour it into the root bucket. And then let it drain. Okay. So it was trickling down, and then these rocks would remain moist for some hours and then repeat. So it's a very uh, low-tech way to do it, that but it does work. That was an extremely low-tech way to do it, yeah. <laughs> Typically, though, there will be a pump or there'll be a um, thing, a, a device that turns the nutrient solution into kind of a mist. Right. And maybe mists it over the roots. Or there's okay. nutrient film technique where there's semi-permeable films and the roots are kind of sandwiched between them. Wow. And then moisture and air moves through the films. There's a bunch of different ways of doing well, yeah, it. Yeah, they use that film film for making uh, green walls uh, right tropical green mm -hmm. walls yeah. And, and yeah you you just i actually take care of one on the island and there's like a film and you just staple the bare roots in there and then a, this nutrient solution just gravity f wow. feeds down every couple that's hours that's so interesting you yeah. see a lot of failed one of those and uh, failed green walls in la because it's just so oh, dry yeah. you see oh like, okay oh they're trying <laughs> so people build them outdoors yeah oh, okay they try to have yeah. a green wall like for the for like a you know, a building. The side of Whole Foods and stuff. Yeah, things yeah. like that. But yeah. the, it's just so dry here. It gets so hot and so dry in the summer. That stuff like that, I think it just doesn't, it doesn't take. Mm. At least people, there's a lot of stuff like that you see where it's just, they tried to do it, but they didn't do it the right time or it just didn't have the, just didn't work out because hmm. they didn't have the knowledge or, I don't know, something didn't happen there. 
I've been really surprised how lush parts of this city are. Has it rained a lot lately? It's rained a lot lately, yeah. Okay. This is pretty rare. Like right now, it's about as green as it's ever been that I remember. So six months ago, if we were to be here, would it be more brown? It would be absolutely brown. It's okay. a dust bowl. Okay. Like wow. even now, there's still stuff that hasn't fully recovered. Like there's a lot of trees. Like we have an avocado tree at our house. Okay. It's just like, I think it's going to die because it just, I don't think it's getting enough water. Those trees need so much water that hmm. they... That's sad because this tree was like the best tree. It was so thick and like it was like this thing you could hide inside of it because the, the branches had these weird, they were bent. All There's like three main limbs and they're all like a bench height and okay. they kind of run up slightly. So you can kind of go up in the tree and you're just, you're hiding in this tree but it's really comfortable. There's a lot of space. Yet uh, now it's, you can see right through it. It sucks. I hate mm. it. it. makes me angry because I'm just like, tree! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so, want to move, yeah. So do people... Um, how does irrigation work? Because I've seen some some properties in the city that seem like they're heavily irrigated and some that aren't at all. Do people just pay for water? They do. Uh, the water situation in California is, I don't know how to even describe it. I think it's incredibly fucked up because it hasn't, it hasn't hit like a, a point where they have to start rationing it yet, but they really should have started rationing it, even though they haven't. Uh, it's super complicated. It has to do, I'm not really sure exactly how it works in terms of how they've figured it all out. But I know that um, people here use significantly more water than they probably should be for our environment. But hmm. it's just because we, the city of L.A. has all these aqueducts and aquifers that they own as much as like 300 miles north of L.A. And wow. they, they siphon all this water down. And so that's what we, how we get it. But there's still like all this stuff now where and people, you know, you see people all the time like watering their grass and stuff like you see water running in the in the gutters, going like they're overwatering extremely. So it's just, hmm. I think it's something now. There's been some rain, so people think the drought's over, which is not true at all. Because the reservoirs are still, uh, it's yeah. it's complicated. I mean, it's I think it's a little bit cyclical, but at the same time, LA keeps growing and they keep using tons of water. The thing is, is uh, all these areas in the Central Valley where they're taking water from. Well, the Central Valley itself is where they grow. You know, like a third of the lettuce in the universe, sort of thing. Yep. So they use tons yeah. of water, and in addition to that, so they're using, they're using a lot of water up there for growing, and they're t we're taking a lot of water from them to supply LA. And uh, the, I'm pretty sure the the land level in certain places up there has dropped as much as 20 feet because these aquifers have been slowly depleted. So the there's like these telephone poles that show the levels of the land that have changed since like the 50s and 60s. So as long as the water's been drained from up north to supply LA, it's, it's so yeah. I mean, it's a weird. Some something will happen in the next. I don't know, maybe twenty or thirty years. Something will happen because just the population can't keep growing here with the amount of water that's available because it's just not available. And hmm. same with uh, I think like the I think Lake Mead, uh, like the Hoover Dam area, all that that whole aquifer system is is like failing, and there's always problems where it's just there's just not enough simply not enough water for the amount of water that gets used but well, we have lots yeah you have, yeah that's the problem <laughs> if there's like that's the case in minnesota last year they had like this say it's so much water it was just they got a tremendous amount of rain but then over here we had just have the exact opposite it's like the right. biggest drought in 80 years or something like that oh. so yeah it's all about the allocation of water our garden our garden is uh, has an extremely high water table Really? Well, where we the land that because oh, you're on. an island, yeah. Yeah, we live. Yeah, yeah, and just uh, it's pretty marshy, mm -hmm. um, and it has been drained. But in the winter, even though we grow a lot of winter vegetables, 
over the winter and like harvest them all winter it's often we're walking through through standing water to, wow. to get yeah. them. <laughs> Man. But things survive. Like, and we experiment with a lot of different things to see what will survive sitting in standing water for a few weeks. It drains. It, it's not, not draining, but it, it slowly drains. And, and What kind so. of stuff does well in that environment? In the winter? Yeah. Celery does amazing. <laughs> really? Yeah. Celery, we grow under yeah. tunnels. Yeah. Most of what we're about to talk about, though, is under tunnels. What do you mean tunnels? Oh, like the... polytunnels? They're sort of like greenhouses, but they're small. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And most of our beds are three feet wide, so we have just an arc of a piece of just like a conduit, like three-quarter inch water piping, and then poly, six mil poly over it. And we can lift them up and tie them to vent them on warm days. Okay. But they mostly just stay down. So, it's, yeah, it's a greenhouse covering a bed. Nice. You just keep, like, the crown of the plant from being exposed to the worst of the winter. Got and it. And often, like, the, if you get a lot of ice or rain or just, like, in the center, that's, like, the very delicate area of a plant, then it'll freeze and expand. So, it keeps then, it from accumulating on it. Yeah. yeah. And then it, because that's usually what causes the demise and of the Just getting pounded with rain for months in the winter. Yeah. That's often what kills things where we yeah. are. And if you prevent that pounding with rain, even if it still gets to minus 10 which it might occasionally really um minus 10 celsius oh i don't know how fahrenheit works at all so that's um, uh what's well, still that's still really cold it's still below freezing isn't it no yeah what is it yeah because uh, freezing zero in celsius. yeah for yeah, us so it's for yeah what is that like yeah. 20s or uh pro- it's probably teens yeah yeah so that's the coldest it ever gets but even if it gets that cold it's still almost that cold in the tunnel Right. There's just enough protection and just enough rain protection that things will yeah we've got a big list of things now that work yeah really well like celery um, particularly the ancient types of celery, like cutting celery. What does I, that mean exactly? I can't recommend that plant enough. It's, <laughs> just, maybe uh, well, it's just like uh, the parent of something that's been hybridized a lot okay. to be a certain way. Like you hybridize plants to right. have certain attributes like celery. And, and celery that you buy at the store is blanched often, which requires like hilling or it's blanched blanched like the stems are protected from the light so okay they they certainly they're stuck together it's like a re, like an old celery plant would be like a fountain like open fountain shape right. and much thinner stalk. thinner stalks and right. a little potent. more bitter and potent and um, yeah we have healthier. some celery in our garden right now and i tried eating it i'm like whew. Yeah, <laughs> this is not. Yeah, it is hard. It's almost impossible to eat. It's so bitter. Mm. Yeah, you About, have to yeah. change. You have to like use it in ways that are clever. Uh, it's really good for you. Really? Yeah, it's extremely good for your digestion and just like cleans yeah. you out. And we smoothie it mostly. Celery. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we steam it a celery. little bit. Yeah, there's different types of cutting celery too. It's popular in Eastern Europe and parts of Southeast Asia. Okay. It's a tougher plant. It requires less irrigation. Um, it it produces, I would say, more foliage per square right. foot. It's, like it's a, more cold hardy. Yeah, it's like a big parsley. Yeah, kind it's of. more parsley. Keep it more like a parsley it's the same family, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. If you cut, if you, if you try to figure out how to use that plant, use it in like the start of a, a soup or a stew, as okay. you would with like um, the aroma vegetables, like, like, like an right. herb, like, like an herb, herb. yeah, yeah. Um, or but like really, a chunkier herb, yeah. something that still has a little bit of texture to it that'll fill. The pot. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe used, like in China, it's used <clears throat> in stir fries. It's a stir fry Got vegetable. it. Yeah. It's nice in smoothies, though. Like if you added celery and cucumber and then a little something a little sweet and then you drink it. We're big into good. smoothies. Yeah, Me we too. We do a lot of smoothies from um, not raw greens. And I think that that's something that. Um, well, brassicas in particular. In particular, brassicas. But other things, we try to make our smoothies from a combination of raw and lightly steamed greens. And okay. That's changed the way I digest them like night and day. So, because if you steam them a bit, they uh, they break down 
they break down easier, right? So they're more accessible, like the nutrients and things. Certain ones gets. We're wading into very controversial territory. Yeah, I don't get there. To do. What I do know is that there are some compounds in raw greens that are naturally occurring chemical compounds right. that are broken down upon heating. And some of these are regarded as anti-nutrients or at the very least like irritants to our bodies. Like what, what would be an example? Brassicas as a group. Right. So, so that's broccoli. Broccoli. broccoli kale. Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Kale. Yeah. Kale's a brassica? Yeah. Kale's the big one because it's so popular Kale's now. So I didn't know it was a brassica. I yeah, thought it was time. something else. No, no man, there's a, there's a, a brassica. Holy shit, brassica. I just got my mind blown. I didn't yeah. even realize that. <laughs> so kale's a, kale's a basically an ancient non-heading cabbage, similar to a oh, collard. Oh, okay. Yeah. So these have, I believe they're called goitrogenic compounds. I don't oh, want to double-check that. Such a that. good word. God. It's it, it implies thyroid. And okay. They seem to a have, goiter. Okay, I was yeah. just thinking that. That's interesting. They seem to have some effect on the thyroid system. Negatively or positively? Negatively. And they, they seem to have um, wow. caused some, in me at least, I'm not sure if it's these goitrogenic compounds or something else, but when I eat a lot of raw brassica smoothies, which I used to do, mm-hmm. I would feel just not 100%. And they would sometimes run right through my body. Uh-huh. Like a little bit of poison, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is kind of a poison. I but suppose. lightly steamed, they t- the smoothie tastes different and it digests different. Wow. And this is something that the mainstream vegetable eating, at least our mainstream vegetable eating community at home, just seems to start... It's just starting to talk about right now because okay. there's a lot of dogma about raw greens. How there's you a lot need of dogma. Enzymes, you know, you need to yeah, take man. in these enzymes and you need to get the life force of the greens and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like there's some truth to that, but probably not entirely. Yeah, there's definitely a serious amount of that that goes on that I don't quite understand. I mean, for me personally, I have weird like bowel issues and stuff. Mm-hmm. I've had them for a long time, mm-hmm. so there's certain things that I just can't. Even though I like, like, I love Brussels sprouts, I love the way they taste, but I don't eat them because they just bother me too much. Yeah. Even cooked and stuff. And uh, in terms of your digestion. Yeah, it's yeah. just like broccoli. Broccoli the same. Broccoli is not as bad, but it's still just the same. But it's considered, yeah. I guess, all those brassicas. I find with kale, it does it's the same way. But if some, if some of those are it depends if some of them if they're cooked, it's different. And I find like it doesn't. It's the raw stuff that yeah. causes the problem. Mm. Yeah. Well, a lot if you times. bite into like raw broccoli, you get that like. It's like a sulfurous, a sulfurous taste. Yeah. To it. The same with kale, and right. when you cook it, it's gone. And if you steam it, even, like even, you don't have to steam it into oblivion mm-hmm. until it's like limp oh, yeah, and, we're talking and gray, steamed. just till it brightens up, right? And then it's something's changed. It just starts to collapse a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Another good plant to to see the difference between raw and cooked can be a beet. Right. Eat a raw beet, and then eat a quite a lightly steamed steamed whole beet, mm-hmm. and it's a to me it's like night and day. Like, I find raw beets have something in them, and I don't even know what it is, but to me, it's a, it gives my mouth a metallic taste for about yeah. 20 minutes. I can't handle it. I know people who love it, yeah, I don't but like I can't it handle it. But when I take a whole beet with its little tail and everything and cut off the leaves and use them for something else and wash it and just steam it whole until it's, like, al dente, mm-hmm. it's like night and day. Al dente yeah. Man. Al dente beet. Al dente beet. Whole steamed beets <laughs> one of my favorite things. We have some growing in the garden right now. I guess I've, I have those are one other thing I can't eat. As if like it's like yeah, here's some blood. Eat some like. <laughs> you know? I remember you saying that once. Yeah. yeah. You don't eat beets. I love the way they taste though. There's always things I can't eat that I love the way they taste. It's just sure. you know. What about other greens? What about like um, uh, more oddball greens? Like do you grow any like? Uh, grow some mizuna. I mizuna, love that shit. Mizuna's a brassica? Sorry, man. Yeah, all no those way. like bok choy's and stuff, they're all in the same family. If you notice the way they flower, they all flower the same. They have that mustard flower. Yeah. Like mustard. Canola, 
Canola. Arugula. Arugula is a brassica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought that, oh, man. That's why rotation that. is Water so hard, press. especially in BC, is because that those plants grow so well up there. Right. And so everybody wants to grow them all the time because they do so well. And especially in the winter. So encouraging to grow greens, but you, you really need to rotate your garden. You really need to yeah. rotate those through. So we're coming up to a point in our garden where we've been growing for four years now there. Yeah, this is your And our rotation's yeah. getting really tight. So we're hoping so, to expand our garden. So, we so can, you mean like in terms of the rotation? Of families, because you rotate... Your garden with families, right. so they're not all taking. You know, if you plant brassicas and brassicas, this is it. Just takes this. You know, takes the same nutrients out of the soil There's every a time. Spectrum of nutrients, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. and you can get disease troubles. And yeah, the disease trouble disease. that we get with brassicas is something called club root, okay. which is a slime mold, I believe. Ooh. And it uh, it causes the root system to be malformed and to have like tumors growing in it, basically. Okay. And the plant isn't able to take up water effectively. So it starts to wither during hot days, and it just doesn't make a nice whatever, a bunch of kale leaves or head of broccoli, whatever you're trying to grow. Mm-hmm. And you need to leave your land fallow from brassicas for at least 15 years to get rid of that. What? 15 so, years. Yeah. What is the... What is, come, that's such a long time. What is it yeah. that's coming back into the soil or leaving the soil? I think it's probably an endospore of some sort. Like that's a, such a long time. Some, some types of microbes have a resting state that's extremely impervious to decay. Wow, and I believe that's it's probably something like that with with club root. Yeah. But there's no way you can supplement that or do something um, where you there's a crop few rotation or something. That, there's a few things that, that you could do. On. People are what people Man. are working on. I think in England uh, are just resistant varieties. Okay, yeah, they're the, breeding yeah. club root resistant. We grew varieties. a couple of um, Brussels sprouts last year and cabbage and, and cabbage that they were, worked. Yeah. Yeah, we got some seeds. It's really hard to get the seeds, though. Really? The other thing yeah. that people are doing is biological controls. And okay. they're using certain bacterium that seems to have a club root reducing effect. So you'll, right. you'll like, irrigate that into your row of uh, Brussels sprouts or whatever. So is that almost like a folder feeding thing where you're adding these, um, you're propagating some type of bacteria? Is that what you mean? Or In no? this case, no. It's actually a bacteria that seems to be pathogenic towards club root. Okay. So you're watering it into the earth rather than just on the foliage. I mean, I'm sure it wouldn't hurt the foliage. It's kind of like but... similar to nematode application. Really? Yeah. And how do you how do you get that? You like buy a little packet of these guys? Yeah, it's and a powder. Put it in warm water. water. Yeah. Yeah. At a certain time of year, usually. Jeez. Like a certain temperature. Nematodes are the same. Yeah. yeah you ever used nematodes for anything? I haven't. No. They're like micro. They look like t- microscopic snakes. They swim okay. in the they swim in the soil water solution, sort of between particles, right. and you can buy them by the billions in little uh, packets. And then you can water mix them, them with water. And what water do they do? In. They do a variety of things. Right. The ones that we've used in our field, they eat something called a wireworm. Okay. And where we are, wireworm are, are they're the larva of a click beetle. And when there's a grassy pasture land that's just been left alone, mm-hmm. the number of those larvae tends to build quite high naturally. Mm-hmm. And they live for up to seven years before they pupate into a beetle. So if you break that ground into garden beds, often They'll for quite there. a few years, they're still there. Um, and these, these nematodes that we use, they... Theoretically, at least, it was it was not clear whether it worked. They parasitized them. Oh, okay. So yeah, we have big wireworm them. problems. Is that oh? They so eat like. Do they, they eat, eat the leaves or what do they do? They, they eat, their eat the root. Like you got a little really? beautiful lettuce plant, and you're just like, yes, beautiful. And then you come the next day, and it's just flat. Yeah. You know, does it even happen? Sometimes it happens even when they're quite established. So you think it's past that danger point, but then you come the next day and it's... We, in the spring, we often lose, I would say, like 25% of our lettuce crops. Yeah, and in our more. field, it's almost entirely lettuce they target. Apparently, wireworms target different things in different places, really? which is kind of interesting. Yeah, we seem to have this, for whatever reason, it's a lettuce one. Lettuce is so delicious to everything, I feel yeah. like. It's just, that's where the tax comes. 
Yes. It's a nature's tax. You yeah. gotta pay it. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to over sow everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we deal with a lot of problems by just sowing more seed and just letting nature okay. take care of the odds a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Giving a little bit back to the wireworms. And the slugs. <laughs> and slugs, yeah, because yeah. we have so many slugs. But slugs are aren't they pretty easy to combat though, or are they not? I always feel like I thought that was like an easy one because you have an you exposed just... garden and you have um, you try and keep the grass low around your yeah. garden and um, create a good environment for birds. To yeah, because the birds will come get them. Yeah, mm-hmm. the first year if you're breaking new ground, you always have like a huge amount of problems that yeah. first year, which is really hard for gar- like first time gardeners. Mm-hmm. You try to encourage people to get into gardening, and the first year is just like you get so, all these things just at you. You know, yeah, the you hardest know. year is the year that should should be the easiest. Yeah, you for need you. encouragement yeah. the most. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like, you, a lot of what we do is encourage people. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's I would what, say a huge amount. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you you have to maintain a positive attitude if you're going to keep gardening. Yeah, you can't let things get you down. Do you ever feel like it's just uh, un- the co- the complexity is just unending? Because like mm-hmm. there's all these things we've talked about that I've never even heard of, and sometimes I just I feel like it's this thing where I'm thinking about plants and gardening and I'm thinking about this thing but then I'm like oh how will it affect that thing but that thing how will it affect the thing I'm thinking about before and then but that's that, that's going to affect this because that's <laughs> no that's too close together oh but it's got to have this thing and it's just like ah because yeah but you're learning yeah it just becomes second nature every year every year you have more experience and then you right. just you just feel more and more confident every single year and you learn yeah. what I think you what's the What's the AA the AA thing to accept the things you can change? Can't, you can't. You know that thing. Yeah, it's a. It's accept. What is it? It's you accept the things you can't change, and have the wisdom to know what you can or something. Yeah. So, oh no! Yeah. Change the things you can change. Accept the things you can't change, and have the wisdom to know the, the difference. difference. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. Is that AA or is it? I think it it's, I think AA people often say it. Yeah, that's how I, I was introduced they, they from some AA person. That. They like it. Yeah. yeah. But that's I think I feel like we both do that to a certain extent in the spring is like understanding that it's it is so chaotic and it is all interdependent. But if we try to put ourselves actively in mm. the middle of that, it doesn't necessarily work. So we have to kind of do what we can do. You know, like. Today we're going to get this land ready and plant peas right. and not really worry about all of these other things because you would you could go crazy. Especially yeah, if you had a really big garden, like you would go. We don't have that much to juggle in our lives, though, compared to a lot of people that are okay. trying to get into gardening. So we've made decisions that have put us in a position where we can focus on it big time. Right. in a big way, and it's our life. It's what yeah. we do. Yeah. It's it's pretty great. We yeah, yeah, like we don't own the land we have a that we farm, situation. Right. and we don't have any kids and. We don't have any investments. We don't really have any money. <laughs> All that kind of stuff is. That's is, great. That's we do free. have worry. We yeah. have worries, but I don't know. It just doesn't feel that heavy. The worst yeah. case scenario is not so bad with gardening. I mean, what you, like if you know, we feel some stress with our CSA because you're you're getting paid at the beginning of the year. Because that's what you do. You fulfill. Yeah, you, we, we you, get subscribers to our program, and you fill the boxes up and ship and give them to people. Every yeah, Sunday. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Twenty six <laughs> so, weeks. Twenty six weeks, uh, and and last year we had approximately ten. Um, ten people. Ten, ten boxes. Members, yeah. Ten okay. members. Yeah. Um, we're hoping to do about twenty again. We had the previous year we had twenty. It's kind of funny we went from twenty to ten. Um, right. But we we opened it up on Wednesdays though to direct mm, sales yeah. to whoever wants to come down. Oh, so you get a lot of people coming down. We got a, more than we thought. Yeah, yeah it was That's nice. So cool. And and yeah, between noon and sort of sunset, people will just come to the field and and we we made it pretty 
like we're, we try to be very welcoming in the community right because people want to learn about gardening so, yeah so some of the people who come down on wednesdays they just want to walk through it right. I, I, I'm, I like that i like that people come down this one is they just want to interact with it they yeah interact with they want to see what it looks like when someone puts a lot of work into a garden you know because mm-hmm. a lot of people want gardens they have these gardens that are sort of half-assed mm-hmm. for lack of a better term just because they just don't have time they have kids they have to work yeah. you know they have all these responsibilities and um yeah it's, i think it's an inspiring in a way i mean not to put too heavy of a term on it. i think that is inspiring, it's so inspiring. <laughs> i mean it, it, it's just inspiring to see people that are kind of just putting their all into it and what does that look yeah. like you know and they're all with certain limitations because i mean we're we're not willing to go into debt really so we we kind of just like we have limitations so what, what would be like going into debt what would that mean in terms of the garden like if we scaled up and we mechanized and we got tractors oh, okay. and we and we mm-hmm. had to put up fencing from our own budget and right. like fencing is really expensive it is so yeah just mm. like fence yeah, an acre fencing. of land because we have oh. to put up six foot fencing do you have problems with those kind of pests oh, oh yeah, yeah we can't, oh absolutely we want to be able to grow a single or maybe a few exceptions basically nothing without it being behind a six foot tall fence oh but yeah. you have a six foot you have a fence yeah we're our gonna, current garden is, is yeah. fenced yeah oh, and the the fellow who owns our land and who supports us tremendously is uh, hopefully going to build us a new fence this year too mm. If you listen to this, uh, Stan, that'd be great. Hey, Stan. Thanks, buddy. You really need that fence. Uh, Callers, you can call in to support the fence. Bring the fence back. I I think that I feel like I didn't We'll put the fence up. Yeah, we'll put the fence. No problem. Um, I didn't really know what it would be like running a a CSA, community-supported agriculture program, before. But to me, one of the nicest things is that it's like people come to our farm to get the boxes mm-hmm. and a lot of programs are delivery services right but this makes people come and be a part of it at least in a small way yeah because where they pick up the boxes is like right next to the front entrance to the field so oh, a lot cool. of people do go in and poke around and nice yeah and it forces us to be also um social in a way that sometimes we veer away from being because we're it. both a little bit um introverted in in some ways so um well, Ryan, not so much as me, but... Rhizomally yeah. introverted. Yeah. <laughs> or like non-rhizomatous, almost. Socially non-rhizomatous. So, well, we live, in a, we live in like a small community, too. Right. It's a, a lot of the year, it's a dark place. Yeah, it's like 2,500 people. It's oh, pretty, that's tiny. Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty big island. Like, ge- geographically, it's mm-hmm. pretty big. But most of the people are at the south ish area what's the name of the island again quadra quadra, quadra. yeah, yeah. do they have a nice like pour over coffee shop there at all you what's know pour, <laughs> you what know? pour over pour over, you know it's and they charge you like five dollars for a cup of coffee because they it's like you know single origin heirloom beans and they <laughs> pour it over the water's poured over by a barista slowly to, at a yeah that's the best way to have coffee yeah it's really tasty Would you describe yeah. our coffee shop well i can make that for you okay <laughs> You know what I mean? Because sometimes there's these smaller towns that are, uh, like, they've got this, like, certain very specific singular element of uh, of modern hip hipster culture uh, in them. Hmm. Oh, yeah. no. I don't, no, think, it, I don't, I don't think I would describe it that way. Got no. It. We've got, it's we, we have a coffee roaster on the island. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, n- but Heidi's coffee uh, shop. No. Not really. I mean, she's great, but it's, I wouldn't describe it as hip in any way. I think it's, it's almost, <laughs> there's almost an anti- Attitude, that's good yeah. almost it's but a pretty also, wide demographic of people there's quite a few poor people there and it's um there's but there is a good portion of wealthy and i don't know it's interesting there's weird throwbacks to sort of hippie culture too of course yeah and like there's a be. big yeah. there's a big sign in the main 
town that says like you are loved wow that's great yeah (laughs) that's cool but there's also yeah there's a lot of people who are just really really blue collar there's a history of that like of logging and fish farming and um very west resource extraction it's it's got a resource extraction vibe more than an agriculture vibe resource extraction yeah resourcing still happening like a lot of logging and a lot of fishing fish yeah fish farming there's a cannery on the island oh wow Walcan, yeah. Walcan. Walcan. And then the next island over is Cortez. And Cortez Island is, in many ways, more famous. Okay. And it has a very counterculture vibe. Yeah. Really? And that's has what, had for 50 years. That's where they're growing the weed. They're growing oh, a lot of weed on everywhere. Island. Okay. <laughs> it does well. You know, we should take a quick break and come back and talk about some of that stuff. Awesome. Some of the more uh, nefarious. That's not nefarious. What am no, I saying? Okay. Awesome. We'll be back. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is now the ending of the episode now. Well, not right now. This is the this is the ending piece of the episode that will be the last thing that happens of note in this section before it's actually over. No, it's not. I just <laughs> I was about to say I lied, but I didn't lie. You know when people say they made like made a mistake then. No, I lied. No, I I lied actually. I um I am friends with Jenny. They just forgot they were friends with Ginny. Never mind. Moving forward. The Bank Bobbard. Uh, there will be a to-be-continued whole other piece of that interview. I know I've said that before with interviews where I said, oh, I have more to come, and, and I do have more, but sometimes it's like I don't have enough to make a whole episode of it, or I just don't feel like doing it just yet. But this one literally is going to be a part one, followed immediately by a part two. So, I mean, I mean, are you going to complain about that? Probably not, man. You're probably going to be pretty chill with that. So, in lieu of having... Just this just be an hour long episode. I'm gonna bump it over a little bit further by dropping into the can right now a little old piece of tragic magic called the Twisting the Wind musical section. But it's just gonna end with the song. It's not gonna be a whole full blown section. Uh, here's the music for the Twisting the Wind. Welcome to the TTW musical section. This is a really exciting place to be right now. Right now, I'm going to be (laughs) right now. I'm going to talk to you about a person who I've never talked about on the podcast before. Maybe I have. Maybe I've mentioned him or something. But this is a guy um, who is a composer. Uh, Now this guy doesn't play guitar. Maybe he does play guitar. I don't even know. There's a lot of things I don't know about, and I'm not going to be able to tell you all the things I don't know about or the things that I know about that I don't know about that I just learned because I want to know about what it is to know about these things. 
This is a man also known as Maestro. Dan Savio and Leo Nichols. I didn't know that. I'm just reading from Wikipedia right now, y'all. Uh, Ennio Morricone, one of the greatest film composers of the history of film com- composition. You know him from such films as Once Upon a Time in the West, or maybe a little song called a little song called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. The that's the guy. That's the guy who did all that stuff. He has a massive, massive volume of work. For So for me, this is one of those people I haven't talked about before because it's kind of like, what's the fucking point of me talking about this? It's like me talking about the great, oh, the great wall of China. It's such a dumb thing. Me describing the, the Arc de Triomphe or something and having an opinion, my opinion on it or just telling, I'm talking about someone that everyone already, know, already knows about. I feel like everyone already knows about Ennio Morricone and how great he is and all the amazing compositions he's done. But I don't care so much. And also, I want to talk about something that uh, I feel like I would have never heard if I hadn't just run across in a record store one day and be like, ooh, I've never heard of this Morricone movie. Ooh, it's from a significantly later than all this stuff from the 60s they did. And it's just fucking good as hell, okay? <laughs> a movie called Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, which is an Elio Petri film. I've never actually seen the movie. I feel bad I haven't seen it. It's also known as Indagine su un cittadino al di sopra di ogni sospetto. I probably mispronounced some of that, but I think I, I think I kind of got it right. If you want to say it real slow, this is from 1970. Yeah, Elio Petro movie, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, which probably sounds much better in Italian. Like I just said, like the words probably make more sense. But I saw this record for sale, uh, and I just had an interesting cover. And it looked like the Ween's album, The Pod, but it was not. It's not The Pod, obviously. And I bought it. It was way too much money, but I was like, you know, I'm here. I'm here in the city in the south, and I'm making money right now. You gotta buy this. It's an original. It's a Morricone, and I get it. And it's fucking the best thing I've ever heard. Uh, I'm gonna play only one song f- from the album for you because that's how I do things. But I cannot suggest highly enough to get this entire thing. It's the most incredible... Oh, it's so creepy and so unique and really ahead of its time. It kind of sounds a lot like the things that Carpenter ended up doing with stuff in the, in the seven, in the Well, I guess that's sort of late 70s. But it's definitely... It's, it's just so pretty and... <laughs> the more I talk about it, the more it makes sense. It's not just pretty. It's, it's fucking the most deeply creepy, spooky, fun, delicious sounds you'll ever hear. You got some detuned piano in there. You got a weird, like, clock making these sounds. It's like a clock, but it's not. It's used as an instrument. And I think there's even a phone in there. There's, like, someone, they just, like, you know, uh, maestro, how about the phone for this song? We do film for this song? <laughs> yes, yes, si. Pia Volocia. Andante, si. Pia Volocia, telefono, pronto. Pesquete. <laughs> That's exactly what was said. Okay, well, here's the deal. I'm going to play the title track. I know it's super obvious uh, and everything, but this is the lame, this is the big boy. This is the... This is the lay motif, so to speak. I think this is considered a lay motif. But you have to listen to the rest of the album because it is just financially stupendous. 
I'm trying to replace all those words that words sound like that. There's parsley in my throat. I gotta listen to this song to get the fucking parsley out, man. <sighs> so, 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 here it is. Here it is, the song. Uh, title track from <laughs> Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. Composed, and I'm sure some piece probably making a beep sound on there, by Ennio Morricone for the film of the same name I just said. Thank you for listening to Twisting the Way. Please check back in. Please be sure to rate and review the podcast in all ways possible. Donate if you got it. I know you got it, and you got to give it to me because this shit ain't for free, motherfucker. And check the website to see when I'm going to be in your town. Uh, it'll, it'll happen eventually. And, uh, you know, just keep on keeping on. Blast the wars. Keep fighting the war. Keep uh, killing the innocents and spraying out the blood of the goats upon the field of shame. And uh, is that all? Yep. Yeah. That is all for today here on the Twisting the Wind program Burn Incense
the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.